Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Let your kids take advantage of all the wonderful opportunities we have for them. Um, big kids and adults, you got to stay in here with me, so sorry you can't go to Children's Church. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 as we continue this journey at the life of Jesus. Luke chapter 4. Many of you know my dad was a pastor, and so I had to grow up hearing a lot of his stories a lot of his illustrations, but my dad always told this story of a friend of his who struggled with temptation. And this man faced a major temptation one day when he was on a business trip. This friend of my father was traveling a lot. And as you know, many of you that travel out of town, that you leave your family, there's a lot of allurements of being out of town. You get the freedom of going to a new city. And so he'd been at a a long day of meetings, and he gets into his um, car, and he drives back to the hotel, and he gets to his hotel, and he gets into the elevator. His, His room's on the 10th floor. And as he gets into the elevator, right as the door's about to close, in walks what we would call a, a woman of the evening dressed very provocatively. It was just him and her alone in the elevator. And she began to smile at him and to make subtle advances at him. And basically, it was a moment of truth. He was away from his family. So at that moment, he had two choices. This businessman who was all alone and nobody would know what would happen. In that moment, he could have said to himself, I'm away from home. Nobody's going to know. I'm entitled to a little bit of fun. My wife has gotten a little bit overweight over the years. This is a young, attractive woman. Nobody is ever going to know. As a matter of fact, I deserve this. I've had a long day of meetings. He could have done that. Or here's what he actually did. My dad tells a story. His room was on the 10th floor. He pushed the closest button he could see, and so at the second floor it stopped. He The door opened. He ran out of the elevator as fast as he could and ran down the hall and got as far away from her as he could. So it's an interesting story of a person that was trapped in temptation. He had two choices. He could have stayed and given in, or he could have ran away. This man literally hit the button and ran away to avoid temptation. Temptation. He fled. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says this, Flee, flee or run from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. The Bible repeatedly tells us to flee from temptation. Well, thanks a lot, because if you're like me, it's hard, isn't it? Temptation, to flee from temptation. Why do we often give in to temptation? Why do we fall into temptation? Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 9, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. 
into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So we're called to flee temptation because we can fall into temptation. And temptations seem to hit us when we're least expecting it. In my experience, temptations come when you're bored, when you're lonely, when you're stressed, when you're dissatisfied, when you're restless. And they just come out of the blue and they hit you. And sometimes you don't even trust your own heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Temptation. Falling into temptation. Fleeing temptation. Not giving in to temptation. Okay, so we come to this passage of Scripture where Jesus is in the desert being tempted by the devil himself. Now we've seen the baptism of Jesus. It was at the baptism that he hears that voice from heaven, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, the absolute deity of Christ. He is God's son in the flesh. Then we looked at the genealogy, which showed us that Jesus came from a human lineage going all the way back to Adam. This stresses the the human nature of Jesus. So he's fully God and fully man. And so here we come to the temptation. And before Jesus can start his ministry, he's the second Adam. What did the first Adam do? We looked at this last week. The first Adam failed the test in the Garden of Eden. The second Adam has to pass the test, not in a garden, but in the wilderness. Not one temptation from Satan, but three temptations from Satan. So let's read together Luke's account of the temptation of Jesus. And by the way, you may want to get my sermon manuscript afterwards because on one page, I've got half of it with footnotes. It's been a difficult passage of Scripture because I've had to dig into what the theologians have said about a certain issue I'm going to deal with later on, but I'm not going to give you these long quotes in a sermon because they're in a footnote, but you may want to go back and, and get the sermon manuscript afterwards. So let's, let's read this together, Luke chapter 4, 1 through 13. You're probably very familiar with it. This is Luke's, this is Luke's account. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. As we will see as we move through the Gospel of Luke, The Holy Spirit is crucial in the life of Jesus. Notice verse 1. Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. So this 40 days of testing is is instigated by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit propels Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now the word devil means accuser, slanderer, deceiver. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. One thing we need to understand here, the devil does not have unlimited power over Jesus. The devil can only do what God ordains the devil to do. And so this is a purposeful attack because Jesus is being led by the Holy Spirit. But just like if you read the book of Job, the devil can't do anything that God in his sovereignty will um, or will not allow him to do. So this is not really a surprise attack by Satan where Satan's going behind God's back. Satan is doing exactly what God allows him to do. And so let's ask the question, because I know over my years in ministry, I've had this question asked. Some of you have asked it multiple times to me over the years. What does it mean that Jesus was tempted by the devil? Okay, what does it really mean? Because we're talking here about the human side of Jesus, the God side of fully God, fully man. What what does this all mean? Because Hebrews 2.18 says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Okay, Jesus suffered when he was tempted here in the wilderness. And thus he's able to help us when we're being tempted because he knows what we're going through. Okay, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say in Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest talking about Jesus who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Okay, so here's the question. If Jesus was tempted in every way we were, yet he never once sinned, two questions. Was it a real temptation? And could Jesus have possibly sinned? See where I'm coming from? If Jesus could never have sinned, were these real temptations? Because it says he's been tempted in every way we are. And is there a logical inference that Jesus could have sinned if tempted? So let me answer these questions, because there's two questions here. There's two answers. One is sinlessness. And one's the ability not to sin. Let me me explain this to you. Sinlessness. Adam was sinless, but he had the ability to, to sin. Did he not? Angels were sinless, but they had the ability to sin because a third of them fell. Jesus was sinless, but he did not have the ability to sin because he's fully God. Now, the question here is, How can the temptation be real if Jesus could never sin? Sometimes we get tripped up by the word tempt. The word tempt in the Bible can also mean to test or to put somebody through a trial. And we need to think of temptation from two aspects. The Bible speaks of temptation from two different aspects. And you see this in the book of James. So I'm giving you some background before we get to Jesus here because these are some questions that people ask over the years. Okay, so James 1, 2 through 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. Underline the word trials of various kinds. 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Trials. That word can also be temptations. Okay, so t- trials and temptations is the same word in the Greek language. There are trials that you go through that are outside of yourself. There, there are circumstances that come to you from outside. We would call them trials. We would call them testings. Circumstances. But then later on down in that passage, James uses the same word and says in James 1, 14-15, each person is tempted, same word he used as try or trials, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Okay, so let me just explain this. There are two ways you can be tempted. You can be tempted from outside by forces coming against you. Circumstances, trials, the devil. Or you can be tempted from your own internal desires that come from your fallen nature. Thoughts, lusts, impurities of mind, heart. So how does this relate to Jesus? Can Jesus be tempted from within with impure desires? No, he cannot. Jesus cannot be tempted internally. He was sinless. He was perfect. He did not inherit any sin from Adam because he was born of a virgin. So he is perfect. So Jesus had no ungodly desires within him that would lead him to sin. So when the devil came and tempted Jesus, these were outside tests that came to him from outside. They were attacks that came outward. It was Satan putting Jesus through a test. He had no in, Jesus had no inward desires or inward thoughts or anything ungodly from within that would lead him to be tempted. He had never any type of lust, never any impurity, never any evil desire. So when we think about sinning, we often think of sinning in words, sinning in actions, but you can also sin in thoughts. Jesus never did any of those. He never sinned in word, in deed, or in thoughts. He never had any lustful thought or or ungodly desire. So, theologian William Shedd, of the 1800s, wrote, Christ was not only able to overcome temptation, he was unable to be overcome by it. So, leads you to a question. If Jesus had no original sin from Adam, if Jesus had no internal desires that were ungodly, how could he be tempted in every way we were, yet be without sin? Was it every way we were? Okay, let me... Let me give you what William Shedd says. Shedd, quote, sheds light on this. The meaning is not that our Lord was tempted in every respect exactly as fallen man is, by inward lust as well as by other temptations, only he did not outwardly yield to any temptation, but that he was tempted in every way that man is, excepting by that class of temptation that are sinful because of originating an evil and forbidden desire. Let me just basically say it this way. Jesus was tempted in every way we were by outward forces. There's a difference between us and Jesus. Okay, let me just say it this way. Jesus can't be tempted internally to sin 
with any type of inward thoughts that would be sinful because he can't do that. It's impossible. So there's a difference between us and Jesus. Now, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And you could say that the Holy Spirit gave Jesus the power to resist the temptation. And I would agree with you. And the Holy Spirit can give us the power to resist temptation. But are there times where we don't resist? Are there times we give in, even with the help of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Jesus, it was impossible for him to ever sin. Think of it this way. Think of the greatest army you can think of. Okay, so think of an army. 500,000 army. Okay, they got tanks, they got nuclear warheads, they got aircraft carriers, they got Apache helicopters. They're loaded, okay? It's an undefeatable army. Nobody on the earth can beat this army. And let's say this little army of 300 people decides to attack it. Can they attack the, uh, the big army? Yes, out of delusions of grandeur, or maybe thinking that somehow out of wishful thinking they can destroy it. So just because an army can't be defeated doesn't mean it can't be attacked. Just because Jesus could never sin doesn't mean he couldn't be attacked from the devil. So Jesus was not able to sin, but that didn't stop the devil from acting with delusions of grandeur to try to attack Jesus in the wilderness. So there is a difference between us and Jesus. Not only was Jesus sinless, but it was impossible for him to sin. And he was tempted in every way we are, outwardly, but we still have to deal with the internal desires of our own fallen flesh that Jesus didn't have to deal with. Now, why the wilderness? And why 40 days? Why was Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days? The number 40 in the Old Testament is a time of fasting, a time of testing, a time of trials. Moses fasted for 40 days. Elijah fasted for 40 days. The flood lasted 40 days and 40 nights. And in how many years did the Israelites wander in the wilderness? 40 years in the wilderness. Think about Adam for a moment. Where was Adam when he was tempted by the devil? In a lush garden. The perfect environment. One temptation. And Adam fell. Jesus is in a far worse environment than the Garden of Eden. He's in a wasteland out there in the middle of nowhere. Forty days of fasting, he's hungry, and the devil comes to him not with just one, but with three temptations. So Jesus, the greater Adam, the second Adam, endures and passes the test and is victorious where the first Adam failed in the garden. Adam failed the test, got kicked out. Israel failed the test. They wandered for 40 years. The question is, is Jesus, the true Israel, the second Adam, is he going to pass the test in the wilderness after 40 days? So let's look at the three tests, the three trials. Okay, here's test number one. Impatient independence instead of patient dependence. Impatient independence instead of patient dependence. Okay, what's the first temptation? If you are the Son of God, command the stones to become bread. Okay, was it sinful for Jesus to eat bread? 
was it even sinful for Jesus to use his power to turn the stones into bread? He had the power. He was hungry. Here's the issue. Here's the temptation. Satan was coming to Jesus and saying, use your power, Jesus, for immediate gratification. Don't trust in God's provision, but be independent of God and get immediate results. Because after all, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, why are you out here anyway hungry? If you're the son of God, you should be able to have everything you want. Just snap your fingers and turn those stones into bread. So really, it was a lack of trust in God's provision. Don't wait upon the Lord. Think about it. If the Holy Spirit had led Jesus into the wilderness and sustained him for 40 days, God was going to continue to sustain Jesus. So Jesus just had to say, listen, I've been led here by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to trust my Father every step of the way. And Satan's coming in basically saying, act independent of God. Get immediate gratification. Jesus, 40 days is a long time. Aren't you getting impatient? Don't you want to eat if you're the Son of God? Kind of putting that doubt into Jesus' head, if you're the Son of God. What did Jesus had just heard at the baptism? What did Jesus hear audibly at the baptism from the voice of the Father? You are my beloved Son. With you I'm well pleased. And what does Satan say? Did you really hear that correctly? Did you really hear God the right way? Think about the Garden of Eden. What did Satan tell Adam and Eve in the Garden? Did God really say, don't eat from that fruit? Did God really say you're going to surely die? Did you hear God right? Adam and Eve, you really can't trust God's word. Jesus, you really can't trust God's word. Let me just say it this way. Every attack that the devil will bring against you is a direct assault on the, on the authority of God's word. He's always going to make you doubt God's word. And so what does Jesus do? What's the resistance? Does Jesus argue with Satan? What's, what does he say? It is written. I'm just going to give you scripture. I'm going to give you the authority of scripture. He fights the devil with the word of God. Psalm 119.11 I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've stored up my word. I wonder, because all these passages are from Deuteronomy, I wonder if Jesus was like reading or meditating. I'm sure he probably had the whole book of Deuteronomy memorized. It just probably came out of him because he knew the scriptures so well. Ephesians 6.17 Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. That's how we fight the battle, with the Word of God. And then James 4, 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. Stand against the devil. So Jesus stands with the Word of God and simply says, It is written. And then he quotes Deuteronomy 8, 3. Deuteronomy 8, 3. He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus says, I'm not going to argue with you, Satan. I'm going to give you God's word. I'm trusting in God's provision, in God's timing, 
in God's way. And I'm not going to abuse my authority by turning stones into bread. I'm not going to act independent of my Father. I'm not going to get impatient. I'm going to patiently wait upon His provision. I'm not going to act with impatient independence, but with patient dependence. I wonder if you're tempted in this same way. Are you tempted to doubt God's goodness or doubt God's provision? And you get impatient. God, if you would just do things in my timing and in my way, I'd I'd love you much better. We want immediate gratification. We want immediate results. We get impatient. We want to act independent of God. We want to do our own thing instead of just simply trusting in God's word and trusting in God's provision. Are you totally dependent upon God to meet your needs? Or are you wanting to act independent of God? Saying, I can do this myself. So that's the first temptation. For Jesus to act with impatient independence as opposed to patient dependence. I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to depend upon Him. I'm going to trust in Him. I'm going to live on His bread alone. He's going to sustain me. He's going to provide for my needs. Okay, here's test number two. Instantaneous power instead of self-denial and suffering. Instantaneous power instead of self-denial and suffering. Now here's where Luke doesn't tell us exactly how all this happens. Maybe it was in a vision, we don't know. It's just that the devil in verse 5 took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And what does Satan tell Jesus? To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. Okay, here's a question. Is Satan lying here? Does Satan have the authority to give all these kingdoms to, to Jesus? Now, we know that Satan's the prince of the power of the air, and he's called the, the ruler of this world, but does he have the authority to give Jesus the kingdoms? Let me remind you of what Gabriel, the angel, told Mary Jesus would have. Luke 1, 32-33, before Jesus is even born, he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. It was promised to Jesus before he was even born by the Gabriel Gabriel angel. So Satan here is basically saying, listen Jesus, I've got this authority and I can give it to you right now. There's one condition. Bow down and worship me. Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world. John 12, 31. Now the judgment of the world has come. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out? He is the ruler of the world. God has given him some limited capacity, Satan, as the ruler of this world, but he doesn't have absolute authority to give Jesus the kingdoms of this world. John 14, 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. The ruler of this world has no claim on him. So God is in sovereign control of all the kingdoms of the world. Satan thinks he has this authority. He does not. Jesus was already promised the authority. But here's the problem. Here's the issue. Jesus was promised the kingdom, the authority. But how would it come? Only 
through the cross and the resurrection. Satan wants Jesus to bypass the suffering of the cross to get the power now. It was a temptation to grab worldly power instantaneously without having to go through any suffering. I'll give it to you now, Jesus. Just bow down and worship me. I know it's promised to you that you're going to have all these kingdoms. But do you really want to go through the suffering of the cross? Do you want to go through the scourging? Do you want to go through the whipping? Do you want to go through crucifixion? Do you want to go through bearing God's wrath to get all that? I can give it to you now. No self-denial, no suffering. Just worship me. Does Jesus argue with Satan? No. What does he say there? Verse 7, if you will just worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered him, it is written. He quotes scripture again. This time he quotes Deuteronomy 6.13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Jesus does not need instantaneous power. What he needs is to submit to the will of his Father, even if that means the cross, suffering, the path of self-denial. If you want to avoid all the suffering, if you want to avoid all the pain of the cross, Jesus, I'll give you the authority and the kingdom and the power now. I'll give you instant happiness. I'll give you instant gratification. I will give you a stress-free, pain-free, comfortable life with no stress, with no suffering, with no self-denial, if you just bow down and worship me. I wonder if you're tempted in that same way. Yeah, I want instant gratification. I don't want to have to suffer for Jesus' name. I don't want to have to experience self-denial. I don't want to have to take up my cross daily and follow Jesus. Uh, I, I worship my comfort. I worship my ease. I, I want immediate gratification. I want immediate power. I want immediate fame. I don't want to have to go through the path of suffering. Give it to me now. Well, Jesus went the path of suffering. So, so here's the Christian life. The cross, then the resurrection. Suffering, then exaltation. And if Jesus had to go through that path, we have to go through it as well. But what does Satan come and say to us? I'll give you immediate gratification. I'll make you have a stress-free, comfortable life if you just bow down and worship me. I can feed your selfish pleasure and give you immediate gratification. Now, it's all a lie, right? Satan is a master liar. If you don't know that, Satan is a liar and a father of lies, and he's smooth. You ever met Satan face to face? He's smooth. He's a smooth talking dude. And he knows exactly how to get each and every one of us. Not because he knows all things, because he's had 2,000 years, 3,000, 4,000 years of observing human behavior. He knows pretty much how to get us. So here's test number three. Testing God instead of submitting to God. Testing God instead of submitting to God. Okay, Satan kind of catches on to Jesus' routine here. What does Jesus do the first two temptations? It is written. It is written. So, so what does Satan do? Okay, I'm going to play his game. I'm going to quote Scripture to Jesus to try to throw him off. Does this surprise you that, Jesus knows, or that Satan knows the Bible? R read it for yourself. Verse 9, 
He took him to Jerusalem and said, set him on the temp, pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written. Who's speaking here? Satan. For it is written. And then he quotes Psalm 91, 11 through 12. He quotes a psalm. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Satan quotes Scripture to Jesus as a way to throw him off guard. Now what's the temptation here? Here's the, here's the issue. This is a historical issue you may, you may not be aware of. The rabbis of the day expected the Messiah to come back to Jerusalem. And how would he make his entrance? He would stand on the pinnacle of the temple and announce, I'm here, I'm the Messiah. That's what the rabbis expected. So Satan says, hey, Jesus, let's make this really fun. You could go to the top of the temple. You could stand there and not just announce you're the Messiah, but do something awesome. Do a daredevil spectacle. Do some theatrics. Jump off and have Jesus save you at the last, or have God save you at the last minute. Everybody will really believe you're the Savior at that point. Do something cool, Jesus. Do something fantastic. Do, be a miraculous show-off. Because after all, the Bible says, if you do it, God will save you. Just, just jump off. Do this, be, be a show-off, Jesus, and really show them that you're the Messiah. They'll believe you at that point. And again, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6.16 and says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. If you remember Massah in Exodus 17 is where the Israelites complained against God and they wanted to go back into slavery. So Jesus is like, I'm not going to do this daredevil move. I'm not going to put God to the test. I'm not going to create a buzz through self-serving theatrics. I wasn't sent here, Satan, to do theatrics to get people to believe me. I was sent here to seek and save the lost, to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And yeah, there's going to be a day, Satan, where I'm going to put my trust in God's hands to save me. But it's not going to be jumping off of the top of the temple. When did Jesus commit himself to the Father? What were some of the last words of Jesus when he's on the cross? Luke 23, 46. Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. On the cross, that's when everybody would know that Jesus was the Messiah. And it would come through willing obedience to his father. He would commit himself to the father's will. It wouldn't be jumping off the temple prematurely as this big, huge spectacle. It would be ultimately at the cross and then at the resurrection where everybody would know that Jesus is the Messiah because the father did it in the father's time and it came through the suffering of the cross. One commentator says it this way. In this manner, Jesus rejects all self-will, self-seeking, self-display, and fanaticism as being incompatible with God's word and God's will. I wonder if we're tempted in the same way to put God to the test. You may not say it that way, but how often do you walk by sight and not by faith? God, I'll, I'll, I'll trust you if you do this for me. God, if you bless me material, then I'll follow you. God, I won't do this unless you prove to me. You don't just simply take God at his word and trust him 
and submit to him. You have to have God do something miraculous or something huge in your life before you're going to trust him. Now, all three of these temptations are common to us as humans. What do we want? We want immediate gratification. We want to trust in our own independence. We want to not have to experience any suffering. We don't want to have to walk the path of self-denial. We want comforts. We walk by sight, not by faith. We oftentimes put God to the test. And we don't often fully trust the Lord or worship the Lord. Now, what's the overall point of this entire wilderness experience for Jesus? Is it merely a model to show us how to fight temptation? Yes, but that's not all. Oftentimes pastors use this and say, here's the point. The point is use the scripture to fight off temptation. Yes, that's great. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But here's the point. The point's not about us. The point's about Jesus. Because here's the issue. What just came right before this? The genealogy. Who was the last person of the genealogy? Who does it trace all the way back to? Look at verse 38. Adam. What did Adam do? Adam failed the test when Satan tempted him. This is the whole lineage of Israel in this genealogy. What did Israel do? Israel as a nation failed the test. So Jesus comes on the scene, and every single person in his family tree failed the test, and they all sinned, and they all died. Jesus comes on the scene, and the, the dramatic question for the readers of the day would be, is he going to fail the test? And it wasn't just one, it was three. Three tests in the desert. If Jesus had not been victorious, if Jesus had given in, which we know it's impossible for him too, but if he had, we would not have a perfect Savior. We would not be able to have our sins paid for by Jesus on the cross. So because he passed the test, because he won the victory against Satan, he grants us the victory against Satan. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the devil, and we're now in the kingdom of light. What has Jesus done? Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of these same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. His victory in the wilderness becomes our victory, becomes our foundation, becomes our ability to resist temptation. Okay? When you're tempted, you really can't stand. I can't stand. Jesus was the only one that could stand and win and fight and endure because he was the perfect son of God. We're not the perfect son of God. We have original sin that we've inherited from Adam. We are weak. We are frail. We are seduced. We, we, are, we, are, we are easily succumbing to temptation. It's all around us. And so what does Jesus tell his disciples on the night of his betrayal. Matthew 26, 41, he says, Watch and pray 
that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of you, been, don't raise your hand, have you been there? Man, I'm, 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 I really want to do the right thing. My flesh is weak. So what does Jesus tell us to do? Watch and pray. Watch out for that temptation. Keep your eyes open for those things that are going to come in and tempt you. Pray for the Holy Spirit to give you grace. Avoid those areas of temptation. Proverbs 4, 14-15. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. When you're tempted, you go to Jesus in prayer. And what do you find out? One of the greatest passages of Scripture in times of temptation. I'm going to read a few of these to you, but here's one. Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. In that time of need, in that time of temptation, at that moment, what do you do? You approach the throne of grace with confidence and you ask for help. And Jesus gives it. And how can he give it? Well, because he's the perfect son of God. But the Bible says he knows what you're going through. He knows what you're going through because he experienced the most diabolical of temptations that probably none of us will experience. Three temptations from Satan himself in the wilderness. He knows what it's like. And we too, like Jesus, are full of the Holy Spirit. So we can say no. But there's a, a warning. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. Don't ever once for a moment think you're immune to any type of temptation. Don't ever once look at somebody that falls into major sin and think to yourself, I could never do that. That crazy sinner that went off the deep end, I could never do that. The moment you say, I could never do that, Watch yourself. Because there's enough sin in you, if not for the grace of God, you could do that same thing. So don't be prideful. Don't be arrogant. Don't think that somehow you can handle things. Jesus tells us to watch and to pray. Ephesians 6.16 In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I do know the Bible says the devil throws flaming darts at us. And how do you resist? You take up the shield of faith. You, you believe the word of God. You pray. You watch. And then you have this wonderful promise right after Paul says, take heed that you don't, uh, lest, lest you fall. In, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you, you probably know this one. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful key word there. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I want you to think about the Trinity for a moment when it comes to your temptation. The glorious Trinity, all three persons, have come to your defense to give you everything you need in that moment of trial. The Father is faithful to get you a way out. 
Jesus has experienced everything you've experienced and he knows what it's like and he gives you the grace when you approach the throne of grace and the Holy Spirit living inside of you being full of the Spirit gives you the power to say no. So you have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit at your beck and call to give you everything you need to avoid that temptation. The question is, do you watch and pray? Do you put on the shield of faith? Do you approach the throne of grace? Do you rest in the promise that God is faithful to keep you from that temptation? Jesus conquered the worst and diabolical of temptations from Satan so that you and I could resist temptation, never in our own power, always in him alone. So here's the prayer for this week. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. That's one of the songs that I memorized. Our song, it was a song I memorized. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your path. I will teach that to you later if you want to learn it. I remember that as a third grader. It still comes up in my mind. It's one of the first scriptures I memorized. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Pray to Him. Watch for Him. Seek Him. Trust Him. And what's the promise? He's faithful. He will guide your path. He will direct your path. He'll give you the strength to say no to that temptation. So this week, would you rest in the victory of Christ on your behalf? who resisted with the word of God and won the battle so that we could win the battle through his power alone. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. And there may be some of you this morning that are really struggling with some temptations. And there may be some of you that just need some help. And I want to be available to pray for you. Maybe after the service, you need to just come down and share with me. And you don't even have to tell me what the temptation is. You just may just say, Pastor Sean, I just need help. I need prayer. Would you please pray for me? And I'll be here to pray with you. Some of you may need to just come down to this altar down here and just pray. Ask the Lord to, to cleanse your heart. For others of you, you may just need to, where you're seated, just do business with the Lord. However the Lord may lead you during this time, we all need his strength to be able to say no to temptation and to walk in his paths. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Jesus, thank you that you were tested by Satan. It's a model for us to see how you withstood with the word of God and to look at the type of temptation you had to endure, and it gives us confidence to know that we're not alone. You know exactly what we're going through. And not only are we not alone, but you've you've given us the power. We can approach your throne of grace. And so, Lord, I pray for anybody in this room. If they're going through a serious time of temptation, a serious time of struggle, would they just watch and pray? Would they approach the throne of grace to find help in time of need? Would they believe these promises that no temptations has seized them except what's common to man, that you'll provide a way out? 
Would they use the word of God as the sword of the spirit? Would they take up the shield of faith to extinguish the darts, the flaming darts of the enemy? Lord, would you give us everything we need to walk out this door? Lord, it's safe in here when we're singing praise songs and we're hearing the word, but the moment we step out there, we are under attack. The world, the flesh, and the devil never sleeps. They're always coming against us. So Lord, give us the strength we need to walk in purity, to walk in holiness, to be the people you've called us to be. Thank you, Jesus, you won the victory. Not only in the wilderness, but on the cross and in your resurrection. That we might have eternal life, we might have forgiveness of sins, we might have the power to say no to temptation. All praise and honor goes to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.